Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hey guys, so what are we doing for Pride this year? I don't know. We're stuck inside. We can't do the festivals or the parades. Well, ACB Radio said that we could give them a music package and create a festival. What do you think, Byron? Yeah, there's all kinds of comedy and stuff. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I agree. There's so many LGBTQ artists and icons and anthems. Yeah, and there are so many women artists. So for the rest of the month, join BPI for our Pride Music Festival celebration here on ACB Radio Cafe. Check the Blind LGBT Pride International Facebook page for scheduling information. Well, didn't we sound like we were having fun? That is the Pride Music Celebration. And you can catch that again this Friday on ACB Radio Cafe at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. But right now, you are diving into Pride Connection. I'm your first co-host, Anthony Corona. As always, I am with President Gabriel Lopez Cafati. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Pride Connection Live. And Vice President Leah Gardner. Good evening, everybody. And if you're listening right now on June 23rd, it is indeed evening. This is our first live episode of Pride Connection. That's right. And before we dive into a really great conversation with one of our newest members, we want to remind you guys that in just a few short days, the event that we have all been waiting for will begin. Of course, we wonderful BPI leadership people decided that it would be best if we gave gave the uh, the the weekends the the Saturday and the Sunday arrest. Hopefully, some people can get out and do what they want to do. But starting Monday of convention week, we are chocked full of programming. So if you want to know more, you can hit any one of us up at our respective email addresses. But tonight we are joined by Laurel Hilbert. He's one of our newest members and an amazing guy. Good evening, Laurel. Good evening, Anthony. Good evening, everybody. Hey, Laurel. Hello, Gabriel. Hey, Laurel, a former uh, San Francisco resident uh, who 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 left <laughs> the city by the bay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, he left, he left the city because he went to the hell. But if we go all the way back, <laughs> all the way, all the way back, which is probably interesting seeing as the decision that was made recently about DACA. Well, let's start with where are you from originally and how and why you came here? Sure, Anthony, thank you very much to you, Gabriel, Leah, Byron, and uh, to everyone listening to us. And thank you for hosting me. Um, my name is Laurel, as you mentioned. I am uh, originally from Syria, which is a country currently engulfed in a civil war that sparked a huge migration crisis. Uh, my family and I uh, lived in Saudi Arabia for many years uh, until in 2013 when my father lost uh, a business that he owned and uh, he decided to 
moved the family back to Syria, but I chose not to go. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to for, to go on, uh, Anthony, but if you would like me to pause a little bit, if I'm going a little bit ahead of myself, feel free to let me know. <laughs> no, take the stage, bro. That's why we have you on. We want to get to know you. Excellent. Uh, so uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, my father moved my family back uh, to Syria in 2013 uh, when he lost his business. And uh, I chose not to go, not only uh, due to the chaos there, but because of Syria's limited services for the blind and visually impaired. And uh, I decided to apply to visa to go to the United States. Uh, my family certainly didn't support the decision, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, to start with, I didn't speak a word of the language. Second reason was I was only 17. The third reason was uh, I knew no one in the United States. Uh, the fourth reason uh, because uh, it would be almost impossible for me as a Syrian citizen to get a visa to the United States, uh, given the uh, political relations between the two countries. Um, and so they were in support of the decision. And so I said, well, I am going to apply nonetheless. Uh, they certainly thought I was joking, and uh, I wasn't. I applied really? for what what was it about the United States that with all those realities kind of stacked against you that you just listed? Why? <laughs> what was it about the United States that really enticed you to make that effort? Well, you know, what, what I knew about the United States is the uh, idea of uh, opportunities, the idea of uh, Ambitions have no limit. Uh, the uh, only path between you and achieving your dream is basically working on it. And the idea of uh, creating my own destiny. Uh, and so all of which was not, uh, was not available in, in Syria nor Saudi Arabia. Uh, I also wanted to get a quality education, something that was very important to me. Uh, and uh, growing up as a curious child, less trusting of people, uh, not having access to books in Syria or Saudi Arabia to answer the many questions I had because I didn't want to ask my questions per se family members or my own family or uh, fearing that I will be titled um, uh, many different titles um, and giving the uh, culture its limits uh, and so in my head the path to answer my questions was books and so I didn't have access to that not in braille not in audio i thought to myself well maybe i could hire someone and that someone can read to me i was probably 11 or 12 when i was having these conversations in my head and 
it occurred to me, that won't work. What if the person will be also giving me different titles? If I want to mm. know about existence and religions and God and sexualities and identities. And so I thought, not a good idea. And so at 13 or 14, I started to think about maybe uh, I should just get the heck out of here. Uh, I think it's a good, a good point for us to ask at that point. And now that you did two different time spaces, how did you identify and how do you identify now? Um, so uh, my pronoun is he, him, his, and um, I, I am, uh, uh, I am a gay man, um, and I knew uh, the way I felt and my attraction to same sex uh, since I was probably eleven or twelve, um, and uh, it wasn't something that I was able to ask more questions about. I certainly was confused, um, blaming myself that maybe this is the wrong feeling given the mm. uh, culture I grew up in. Um, uh, and so uh, yeah. one question were there, asked. Mm -hmm. Were there any role models for you to look at where you were at that time? Was there any any community that was LGBTQ that you could seek out where you were? No, uh, which what made matters even worse uh, due to the isolation and as a young child wanting to feel sense of belonging, uh, wanting to feel uh, accepted in one way or another or even if not accepted, at least listened to. And um, neither of these was uh, the case. Um, I wasn't necessarily, I mean, even though these times were difficult for me as a young person, I wasn't necessarily depressed or, you know, um, uh, regretting my existence. Uh, I was in fact very motivated that things just don't stay the way they do and something will change something will happen uh, where i am may not be where i will thrive uh, but mm -hmm. all i need to do is take a, a step or even if it's a risky step like flying to los angeles at 17. You had a lot of skills. Wow. You had a lot of confidence in yourself, you know, which which I find really striking given that it doesn't sound like you were able to read. You were struggling with trying to find some kind of safe space for your um, sexual orientation. Where do you think this sort of deep set confidence came from that your life could change and that it could be uh, more positive? Um, oftentimes, um, you know, I, uh, even, even at a, you know, at a young age, I uh, try to always look ahead instead of uh, being merged in the moment and uh, thinking that 
the where I am in life, the stage I'm on in life is where I will continue to be. Uh, and uh, I inspire myself by uh, reading poems. Uh, they carry a lot of wisdom and mm-hmm. uh, and wow. so they give me hope too. They say that the streets are paved with gold. The people that want to come to the United States, was it the streets were paved with books for you? What what did America represent to you before you got here when you were reaching out and wanting to come here? What it what was your view of America and what was the view of America for your family when they when you told them that this is where you ultimately wanted to end up? Um my family agreed, uh, disagreed on the logic that I'm going on my own and not having connections and not speaking the language. Uh, they, you know, America is something that they have heard of. Um, it, 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 a country almost 13, 14,000 miles away. So it wasn't something that you know, they knew much about, or it wasn't something that they had ever thought of um, going to, or um, uh, due to uh, so many different reasons. Uh, the U.S. foreign policies, uh, the U.S. involvement with the Middle East, the U.S. Mm-hmm. relations with the Middle East, the complexity of these relations, the uh, one region supports uh, U.S. troop presence, uh, other regions don't, and so uh, relations um, are complex. And when you're in a country uh, and you listen to individuals from that country, where I was essentially Syria or Saudi Arabia, essentially they try to convince you that uh, uh, American foreign policies are essentially for their own. Uh, benefits that may be true in certain parts or in certain circumstances but that's not always true in all circumstances as there are different programs that the U.S. supports from uh, uh, helping undeveloped nations to uh, creating educational programs for the underserved uh, overseas to also implementing policies to protect children from trafficking and whatnot. Laurel, in trying to uh, share with everyone where you come from, I I can only relate to a certain degree. I don't know if I shared with you, I know we've had conversations prior, but I, um, uh, even though I was born and raised in Latin America, half of, mm-hmm. half of my family is Middle Eastern. Uh, mm-hmm. So on my mom's side, um, my heritage is Palestinian and um, I can relate with you with some of the things that you have said I know that uh, the culture is very protective Mm -hmm. and uh, very conservative in the sense that they probably meant well in the sense that they didn't want to let you go or come to America Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they feared that you would not have the safety net of a family who would care for you and nurture you and watch out for you. But not only that, if you could tell us a little bit about how that uh, struggle, how, how you were able to reconcile that 
before you made the decision on your own to come to America, but also the legal background in the Middle Eastern countries where, correct me if I'm wrong, but many other countries still uh, penalize homosexuality uh, as a criminal offense. Right. Uh, when I was in Syria or Saudi Arabia, no one uh, knew that uh, I was gay. So uh, I was a closeted kid, per se. Uh, and so uh, uh, I wasn't certainly open to have conversations with close friends or uh, even uh, uh, family members whom I look up to and ask for their advice on certain things, but not that very controversial thing in that culture, because I knew that it's not something that is accepted or supported. And so to avoid trouble or to uh, avoid any conflict with my immediate family or my family members, I kept that to myself and um, I knew that the opportunity one day will present itself when I will feel comfortable telling people and the people I care about mm-hmm. the kind of person I am. When was the first time you got that opportunity? That was... I believe in 2014, and um, I was in Los Angeles. Um, I was reading the New York Times, uh, and I came across an article, or a breaking news, I think it was, that uh, the CEO of Apple announced that he was gay. Yes, and, Tim Cook. Uh, Tim Cook, right, yep. Right, yep. I thought to myself, if this very well-known, respected person, the head of a company that is valued at a little over a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than mm-hmm. 70% of the U.S. population carries their devices. <laughs> yeah. And I thought to myself, who the heck do I think I am to keep that to myself? <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> I like that very much. I think it was and a moment. So, <laughs> for all of us in a certain way wow <laughs> and yeah. uh, but wait wait we just have to stop right there you were sure. reading the new york times how long how long had you been here you said you came here yeah not speaking yes, a word I, of english and I he, i'm same, sorry but you're Anthony. reading the new york times <laughs> you know so uh, I came to the U.S. in 2013, August 27th to be exact, 2013. Wow. And uh, in the first four months, I was um, uh, homeless, sleeping in different parks. Um, oh. After so probably... Mm-hmm. Can I just go back for a second? Yes. So you take a plane to Los Angeles. You have no idea where you're going you have no one to stay with. You get off that plane and you you proceed to be homeless for four months. Um, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. Okay, I got all this, right. The, the, the first time I applied for a US visa, I got rejected, mm-hmm. uh, which was expected. And of course my family to that moment 
they still think that I was joking uh, about going to the US. Uh, but I took my passport and I did the application process with the help of a friend. Uh, and I went to my interview and my friend, the one who went with me, who's a Saudi citizen, got accepted, but I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. So I applied the second time. I also got rejected. I applied the third time. I also wow. got rejected. Oof. And I applied the fourth time. And I think they, the foreign service officer, they probably got <laughs> sick of seeing me. And He's not going never- away. <laughs> <laughs> he really wants to go. <laughs> yes. Just, just we want to stop seeing him. Me- <laughs> the visa, my family, uh, the day I got granted the visa, my family went to Lebanon on a vacation and they said, well, why don't you come with us? And I said, well, honey, I'm waiting for my U.S. visa. They still think I was joking. And the, the day I got my U.S. visa, I uh, looked uh, and I booked the uh, next airplane to Los Angeles. Uh, that was a so you didn't long. even wait a single day as soon as you got your visa you booked your flight actually i had to wait a day because there wasn't a same day flight (laughs) yes there had been you would have been on it (laughs) and uh, so i took it from saudi arabia to dubai i waited nine hours in dubai and then 17 and a half hours from dubai to los angeles and when the pilot announced that uh, we are descending um uh, well, over LAX, and we are starting to descend, and that's when it really hit me. And <laughs> my language, I felt as if I was diving into a bucket of that didn't have a bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were going right down into a completely new country, <laughs> a language you didn't speak. And the I, immigration officers tried to ask me questions. A Syrian citizen coming to the U.S. on a student visa. What the heck? And all I knew is no English, which helped matters. And he just took a picture of me and he said, go. <laughs> so, I'm glad I didn't speak the language. Otherwise, he would have asked probably a million questions. He could have brought an interpreter. I think he wasn't feeling it, so mm-hmm. that was my favorite. But uh, you walked out of the airport, and you had no idea where you were going to go. I walked out of the airport, and then I got on a taxi. He asked me, I think, what's the address or something, and I, all I said is hotel. Um, I didn't know how to put sentences together. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think he was trying to ask me which hotel or where, or yeah. I just said hotel. And so he took me uh, to a hotel, which I don't know where it was. I had two suitcases with me. I stayed a night because I was very tired with the money that I borrowed from a friend. And then the next day, I told the concierge of the hotel that it, uh, I, using Google Translate, if I can leave one of my suitcases here and then I will come back to it, which I lied. I wasn't planning on coming back to it, but I was planning on just leaving with one suitcase because I couldn't carry two. Uh, Mm -hmm. and not knowing where I was going. So I got on a, I heard people getting on a bus. I got on a bus. I heard people getting off the bus. I got, got off the bus. And then I got on another bus and I ended up somewhere. I found a park. That's where I was the next four months when I arrived to Los Angeles, it ended up to be UCLA park. And I didn't know that until probably three or four months into it. Wow. So hold on, Laura. I, I know it. I know it's gonna. I know my question is gonna sound very, very superficial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So you you just parted from your other suitcase? <laughs> you just left it at the hotel? I was trying to remember where that hotel was. I was trying to go back to it, but not a chance. I, I, I don't know which one it was. <laughs> How did you manage during the day in terms of um, food? I mean, I think it's difficult. It's very hard to be homeless, but I'm adding having, you know, being, being um, visually impaired to that. Right. Um, I think I was probably the fanciest homeless man on the street you could ever <laughs> see. And um, so I, somehow I, I stumbled uh, or I, I asked someone, uh, I used the word library and it was right there where the park was because that's it's UCLA Park. And so there's a public library there. Uh, so that public library and there was a Starbucks 24-7 and there was a, a, a gym where I stored my stuff, took showers. And the library mm. became essentially my, you know, place from the, mm. from the moment it opens to the moment it closes. And, you know, I don't leave until they kick me out. And I came across an older woman in that library and I tried to communicate with her using Google Translate that I'm trying to learn English and I want to read. Um, she started to give me Dr. Seuss books. <laughs> a year to that, I realized not a good idea. Never give an English learner Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> because some of these words, I couldn't even find it on Google right. Translate. <laughs> right. Like, tell yourself, Ducky, you're really quite lucky. Some people are much more, much, 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 much more unlucky <laughs> than you. It's like, how could you make sense of that? Right. <laughs> 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 And then you, you... Oh, we we all have questions, Laura. I know, right? I just wanted to say, because um, I know this is very important for Middle Eastern families, even though you had left against their will, I'm sure they were still concerned and worried and genuinely interested in knowing your whereabouts. Were you able to communicate with them and at least let them know that you had made it to America safely and that you were finding your way around? Yes, absolutely. And uh, you're absolutely right on that front. Uh, my mom definitely was very worried and wanted to know how I was if I needed anything. And so it was my decision that I made. Uh, and I told myself from the moment I got my visa that no matter how bad it is or how bad it gets, I'm going to make it. So I, I communicated with my mom and I told her that I was doing great. Mm -hmm. I didn't want her to worry or to overthink. Uh, I, yeah, my mom didn't know that I was homeless until mm -hmm. uh, my probably third year in the U.S. or fourth year in the U.S. Wow. How did you ultimately um, transition from being homeless to um some to to somewhere else. I mean, I I believe I read that you said you were in a homeless shelter for some degree of time. Right, I was moving between homeless shelters. So after four months, I was able to pick up the language. I started to connect with services, and that's when I was uh, living at different homeless shelters. Um, 
I was also, uh, with the help of a social worker in Los Angeles, she helped me to enroll in high school since they wanted to. It was something that was important to me and they wanted to finish it. Uh, and so I was living in shelters, going to high school. And after a year and eight months in Los Angeles, um, things with homelessness uh, persisted. And I thought maybe a change of place will bring new opportunities. And I decided to fly to New York, not because mm-hmm. I knew much about New York, but because I heard a lot about New York. Uh, so I, I once again got on the plane and landed in JFK and in a, in a state, uh, once again, not knowing a soul uh, or even where to begin. So I also went to a homeless shelter um, uh, An employee of the Department of Education helped me to enroll at Harvey Milk High School, which was a traditional Mm -hmm. public high school in New York. But Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I didn't want to be in a traditional public high school. I wanted to develop my professional skills to get myself out of homelessness. And so I started to look for jobs. I came across a woman on the train who offered me an internship in this international language school. That internship turned into a job. And uh, uh, I worked there for a little over two years. Uh, I uh, prioritized education over housing. And so since Hmm. I wanted to finish high school, I decided to look for an online high school, um, which there was only a private online high school. Um, And so instead of using my salary to rent an apartment, I decided to spend it uh, to cover tuition for that high school for my senior year. And I graduated in September of 2016 while I was still working at this international language school. And then I enrolled at Brooklyn College, which is a privately owned school in New York City, uh, majoring in business management and administration. Uh, Two weeks after I graduated from high school is when I started college. Wow. Uh, And so I stayed there for a semester. And, uh, and I, I, New York was a little bit too overwhelming for me. Living (laughs) there two years, after two years, I felt maybe it's time for a a new adventure. Um, And so I wanted to go back to California, but I didn't want to go back to Los Angeles too hot. And (laughs) I went to San Francisco. Good choice. (laughs) (laughs) You've had had the experience of living two of my favorite places, San Francisco (laughs) and New York. And I'm not talking about a tourist. I know Anthony, one of our co-hosts here and who's my partner, uh, is from New York. And he always tells me that I tend to romanticize New York too much. (laughs) Uh, Um, Don't listen to him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I still think, and currently we're living in Florida, but I I, I think at some point in our life, we will, I I think we will back to New York. I know Anthony is a New Yorker at heart, and and, and I am a frustrated New Yorker at heart. (laughs) Even even if I have to walk through feet, 
of snow in the winter and if I have to brave public transportation, <laughs> I, I, I someday I want to have that full experience. So I commend you for having done that, Laurel, because it is you, you conquered New York and it, that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> But back to San Francisco, that's where things really started to take shape for you. You're right. Yes, absolutely. So in San Francisco, um, I decided to enroll at City College of San Francisco. And they have a transitional or a pathway program to UC Berkeley. I didn't want to apply directly to UC Berkeley. I thought I would you know, maybe finish the first two years so that I don't swim in student loans and then <laughs> last two years go to uc berkeley so i indeed enrolled at city college started taking classes um i i, I was also homeless in san francisco um, um i was working remotely for the company that i was working for in new york and uh, due to scheduling uh, conflicts and they reduced my hours and that led me to resign from the company um, and so I, I found myself once again uh, without a job and homeless uh, a counselor at city college of san francisco connected me with Devin dufty whom he was a former supervisor uh, of district eight on the board of supervisors the same uh, seat that Harvey Milk once held mm -hmm. uh, and so I connected with him and uh, he worked at the mayor's office also before so he had a lot of uh, friends in the nonprofit sector where he connected me with Larkin Street Youth Services and I became a part of uh, their housing program um, it was a two years housing program. And, uh, and and so during that time, during that sustainability and having a home uh, uh, enrolled in school, I wanted to do something that impacted me personally. And I thought of starting a nonprofit organization. I started to do research, uh, started to draft a strategic plan to read about how to start a nonprofit, how to file for a, five, a five, 543C3 tax exemption and how to draft bylaws, uh, learning all these technical skills. Uh, and so I, I, I was very inspired uh, that it's going to be a, 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 a nonprofit I started to ask myself what experiences were in these homeless shelters that I lived in that uh, are just not there. And that's what will separate the nonprofit I wanted to start. And that was dignity. Dignity was something that was very important to me wow. as an individual. And, and so I decided to, to call the organization a dignified home. Hmm. Having lived the perpetual drama of being bounced from one unstable living situation to another that relegated to a sense of demoralizing disposability, uh, I felt obligated to start a nonprofit that centers its mission around permanence and sustainability. Uh, a lot of housing shelters, they 
house and transfer youth to other homeless shelters due to grants uh, requirements uh, so that they can get more funding if they keep moving people around. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to stray away from uh, that very foundation to uh, a philosophy of permanence and sustainability, which what a lot of homeless youth are uh, missing and individuals in the foster care system. How long did you uh, run that nonprofit? I ran the nonprofit for two years um, until um, I decided to start my political career. And Bevan Dufti is a friend and he's a mentor, someone whom I look up to. And I asked him, uh, how bad do you think this idea is? Uh, of going to DC and uh, uh, potentially leaving the nonprofit that I started. Mm-hmm. And he said, not bad, uh, go, <laughs> I'll connect you with friends I know. Uh, so he worked in DC in the 80s uh, in different congressional offices. So he has a network in DC. And so he connected me with his friends uh, started to build a community around me. I started to apply for internships between the Senate and the House. Uh, I had different uh, interviews in different congressional offices and Senator Diane Feinstein's office was the first to extend an internship um, uh, to which I was very grateful. Um, and so I started my internship at Senator Feinstein's office in May of last year. Uh, uh, Senator Feinstein's birthday was in June, uh, June 22nd. And so I ran to her oh, on her birthday. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and so I ran, actually, I ran into Senator Feinstein on June 20th, which was World Refugee Day because... June twenty yeah. second was a weekend, and we wanted her stuff wanted to do a birthday uh, mm-hmm. celebration mm-hmm. for her. I wasn't a staffer, but one of her staff invited me, and so um, uh, she asked, you know, after she gave a short speech, and she asked if someone wants to say anything, and I started to itch to say something, and I told mm-hmm. myself maybe I should really keep my mouth shut. For his staff, and there were about eighty staffers, and, and it, there was just there was me, an intern, and, and so you know a minute passed by and no one said anything, and I started to itch even more. Um, a couple minutes passed by and there was just awkward silence, and and I said to myself, I'm gonna count to ten. If no one says anything, I will, <laughs> and. And so no one said anything. And I said from, because the conference room was full of people and I was in the hallway with some other staff members. And from far away, I said, I would like to say something, Senator. And she said, who is that? (laughs) 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 And and so, you know, people looked uh, back to see who said that. (laughs) <laughs> and they saw me and my dog Arrow, and they made a path for me to walk towards the conference. <laughs> and and, uh, 
And she said, well, I saw you a couple days ago and I tried to stop you to talk to you, but you were going really fast. And I pointed at Arrow and I said, he is. It's so easy to have a dog and blame everything on him. <laughs> and, and she said, well, let me shake your hand. And uh, it was sweet. She kissed my cheek. And she said, uh, well, why don't you come sit next to me? And I said, I would like that, Senator. And uh, so, um, and I said, uh, Senator, uh, I, I'm, just a month ago, I moved from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. Uh, to start a political career. And I applied for several congressional offices. And your office was the first to extend an internship to which I am ever grateful. Uh, if there is anything that I can be grateful for now or 10 years from now is to say proudly that I kickstarted off my political career in such respectful, dignified office led by an individual such as yourself, Senator. And then she looked at everybody and said, well, do you hear what he's saying? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then she said, well, why don't you tell me about this animal, um, my dog? <laughs> she loves animals. And, and I said, well, his name is Arrow. I got him from Guide Dogs of America, an organization in Los Angeles. And then I said, uh, my ex-partner thought that Arrow was a very well-behaved dog. And I told him, maybe I should send you to his school. And then I digressed saying, never mind, only 30% of them that make it. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we we parted. Um, that, that it was Friday, uh, and when I came back to the office on Monday, I was, um, um, I was, you know, uh, helping out with some uh, some staff uh, members, and one of the assistants came to me, and she said, "The senator wants you to attend the senior staff meeting." And I said, wow. Me? Uh, she said, <laughs> yes. She said, now. And I said, um, I I'm sorry, I, I, I am I'm an intern. Uh, did you forget that? She said, the senator wants you now. And I said, <laughs> okay, now means that. So I went mm -hmm. to the conference room and I sat on that staff meeting that went on for four hours. After the meeting, she said, well, you made it through. <laughs> and uh, she said uh, when everyone left uh, she said well tell me what's your plan and I said I'm uh, my internship is ending in a couple of days in your office senator and once again thank you for the opportunity I tried to extend it but uh, due to space limitations uh, it was not extended and uh, and so I'm still looking for a full-time opportunity on the hill and I will be sure to keep uh, the staff updated on my progress and they can keep you updated. And then she said, well, let me try and find you something in my shop. Why don't you swing by my office at the end of the day? Talk to my schedulers. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, she had a very busy schedule, so that didn't happen. And then the next day, she asked her chief of staff to extend my internship for a month. And then at the end of that month, uh, she asked her chief of staff to extend my internship for a third month. And then uh, 
at the end of that third month, she was in San Francisco and I was working on a project for our chief of staff. And he came to me in a very serious voice. He said, we need to talk in my office. And Uh-oh. I said, oh, that really <laughs> sounds serious. Did I really screw up on his project? And he said, close the door. And I certainly feel more nervous with him than with the senator. <laughs> <laughs> and he said the senator is on the phone and I was with it and she said well hello Laurel and I said hello there senator uh, and, and she said how are you and I said well I'm good how are you and she said well I'm in San Francisco nowhere else I'd rather be <laughs> and I said, uh, senator that's a song by Frank Sinatra but you don't really want me to sing it <laughs> and, and she said, well, well listen, uh, I've been hearing good things about the work you've been doing, and I like to keep good people around. So I want you to be my research assistant. You don't have to say yes or no. Maybe you can think about it for a day or two, and then you can let uh, my chief of staff know. And I said, wow, uh, Senator, how many people have been hired directly by you? Uh, it's my honor to accept it. I don't need to think for a day or two. I, I can't believe that I'm hearing this. And so that's <laughs> how uh, it came to be. That is quite a, that is just um, a phenomenal story. <laughs> <laughs> Luck meets perseverance I meets persistence. Yes. I see our chief of staff and I say to him, oh, don't forget that I also was hired directly by the senator, Mr. Chief. <laughs> good to be you. So that He's was a good friend, a good mentor. Um, yeah. good. <laughs> so I, I have to ask this question. You, you, you planned with no real agenda, you got yourself here. You're you're working on the hill. I mean, thousands of us would love to be in that position. The political climate that we're in is dark right now, but you have a chance to make real change. What what would you say to the 17-year-old who got on that plane standing where you're standing now? What would you wants to come here even though it's a dark time for our country well what i would say to him (laughs) what i would say to him is do a better research god damn it you know why i picked (laughs) los angeles in the first place because i thought harvard was in los angeles (laughs) (laughs) you were a few you were a few thousand miles away (laughs) and i didn't realize that until probably four months after i started to speak the language a little bit and i stopped someone (laughs) on the street and i said excuse me can you tell me where harvard is and he said something like dude you're on the wrong coast and he walked (laughs) i didn't know what coast meant so i had to look it up (laughs) (laughs) and that's when i realized Oh, yeah, uh, a better research is really needed. So, well, you had to have gotten better at that if you're um, <laughs> Senator Feinstein's research assistant now. <laughs> yes, I think that skill set improved dramatically, right? <laughs> it should have been probably from that day. <laughs> 
So Laurel, I, I like to, I usually, and I do this with myself, I always like to compare and, and kind of like just, just like analyze what has happened and, and where I, I, I have this thing, it's part of, I guess, a little bit of my OCD <laughs> that I always, <laughs> I always say, okay, what was happening a year ago? What was happening two years ago? I always say that I always keep like a little tally in my life. So how, how would you, how would you compare being in Syria where you were basically at the mercy of a lot of, you know, regulations that have been arbitrarily said to rule and to control people's lives to being now on Capitol Hill influencing the actual lawmaking process that regulates the lives of millions of people in what is considered and what I'm sure and I know is the greatest nation in the world. Uh, what's quite interesting, uh, Gabriel, is that uh, uh, each time of my life is unique on its own way. Um, maybe I wonder sometimes if I didn't experience what I had experienced in Syria, would I be motivated to search for what's lingering in my head? I wonder sometimes if I didn't experience homelessness, would I be so motivated to prioritize education because I think it matters? over housing to potentially start a nonprofit organization that centers around my own personal experience. And, 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 and I can't help but wonder sometimes uh, uh, whether or not I can play a small role in the policies and regulations that allowed someone like me to come to this country to thrive beyond my own imagination um, what kind of role I can play in that. And so I certainly uh, try to appreciate uh, all the experiences I had, bad and good. Uh, and I also try to not take things uh, into granted, um, especially my current role. And uh, I uh, don't work on things that I think is the right thing. I work on things that the many people think is needs to be done. And so I play a role on that, on putting that together and analyzing that and researching that and mm. finding information and seeing what's possible to do in different, um, political climates and what's not possible to do, what's possible to pass and what's not possible to pass. <clears throat> um, and so that's the kind of role I play. I, I try to not let arrogance stand in the way and, you know, to say uh, that I work on Capitol Hill or I work for a California senior senator. I feel that I am very privileged to be in this place at this time. And so uh, uh, 
something that I have learned from kind of Feinstein is uh, respect and dignity, hard work and responsibility, humility, all these things can further the person, both personally and professionally. I'm sure she highlighted that for you, but from what we're hearing, you had a lot, if not all of that already inside you. But I'm gonna switch focus for for the rest of the show because it is Pride Connection and it is Pride Month. So tell us a little bit about your life LGBTQ-wise and what does Pride mean to you? You know, pride uh, is, is quite incredible. Uh, to me, it's not only a day or a month to celebrate the past gains, uh, but, it, but it is also uh, a recommitment that we all of us make to ensure that these rights that are in place remain in place, uh, to ensure that these individuals Amen. in this world to... Uh, continue the same rights and freedoms that we are getting here in the United States. So, you know, while it's an, it's an amazing day, it's an amazing month of celebration, of thanks to the sacrifices of all of these individuals whom they had to endure a lot of hardships and harm and violence, uh, but to stand for what's right, to not accept the notion that uh, it's wrong to love who you want to love or to love an individual from your same sex. And so overall, uh, to summarize it, uh, pride is both a celebration of gains that give us the rights and freedoms today, but it's also a recommitment to continue that fight. Amen. Well said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's amazing to think that uh, the Stonewall um, uprising was 41 years ago. Um, and all the... 51. Just, 51. 51. You're right? 51. My math, see? I, I, I <laughs> failed. I practically math failed math in college, right? <laughs> 51 years ago. I, uh, I didn't do that appropriately, appropriately in my head, but I mean, when you think about that, the the strides that have been made in that half century are mm-hmm. are so cosmic. I don't think anybody would have thought at that time that we would now live in a country where um, it's legal to marry somebody of the same um, of the same sex. Uh, or that um, you cannot be fired for an employer thinking that you might be, you know, uh, GLBTQ. Um, Amen to the Supreme Court. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> in a six to three decision. I, I mean, in a conservative in, court. Yes. That's right. That's right. I, yeah. It's, um, it's such a sea change. And, and yeah, the work, the work that has been done um, in those years. I mean, obviously, there's so much work that still needs to be um, invested. But uh, I think it's, it's important to take a moment and just reflect on that. 
yeah yeah absolutely. and like you said laurel this is this is something that we need to recommit every year and not only during pride month but it is a commitment that we need to make not only with ourselves but those of us who came before us and gave so much and for those of us who are following in our footsteps to recommit to the fight and to the uh th those principles of equality for us and for everyone Absolutely. and we need to look forward to the members of our community that are still struggling a little bit we you know the l mm -hmm. and the g and even the b we've kind of found our stride we found our place with the t and the q and the non-binaries and the androgenies and all of those we need fringe, to open the way yeah mm -hmm. we need we, we we need to fold and 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 hold and walk tall with them beside and them secure a safe space for everyone absolutely yeah. absolutely i have laurel. to say something laurel before we close it up you know last weekend in february is the american council of the blind legislative seminar and leadership meetings in washington dc so i'm sure that we will talk to you more on a more official and political level but i'm going to talk to you on a personal level you better get me a handshake and a kiss on senator feinstein <laughs> <laughs> we've all got dogs that she can love on <laughs> yeah all of us three here co-hosts have dogs that she can pet <laughs> that's right that's right yep <laughs> she can have a slobber fest with three beautiful labradors <laughs> uh, quite amazing wow. how much she is uh, she loves animals, horses, <laughs> dogs, you name it. Um, and I often tell her, Senator, my dog is the only one who can go to your office with his bone in his mouth without you asking for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we tend to say on Pride Connection, time is an evil mistress and we are seconds away from hitting our marks. So laurel thank you so so much on behalf of bpi and on behalf of the entire american council of the blind and acb radio um you are a great addition to not only the bpi family but also to the acb family and i'm okay. sure we'll be hearing from you on our program again very very soon thank you so much for sharing your story with us Leah. thank, thank you everybody. thank you thank you so much laurel thank you everybody and please don't forget about the Pride Music Celebration uh, this Friday, June 26th from uh, 4 p.m. Eastern to 10 p.m. Eastern. It will be run during the middle of the night, early Saturday morning. It, it is a wonderful program and we think you will absolutely enjoy it. So until next time, good night, stay well, be safe. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. This is ACB Radio Mainstream, an internet audio service of the American Council of the Blind. ACB Radio, where your listening is our business.